I mean, what's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I would be very careful by slinging stuff. Am I going to get sued? Are we legal on this? I like football, like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL podcast. Steve Palazzolo, Sam Monson here, getting ready for all of your week nine NFL action. What did that? With the jersey? Yeah. I brought my jersey back and, and we just, didn't. Just we didn't hung hang it, it over the uh, over hung it over the desk of the laundry. Yeah. How's that? Is that... Uh, even worse. Yeah. Palazzolo, fifty. Former, <laughs> former Reds player, Steve Palazzolo. There it is. Yeah. Uh-huh. Pell's level 50. It blocks my um, everything plugs. Which oh, is okay. Good. My uh, unprofessional plug usage. This is just pure unprofessionalism, start to finish. So this is it. Let's do it. Week nine, previewing all the NFL action. Here. We're halfway through the season-ish. By Ish. half, you know, like in the middle of the one o'clock games on Isn't Sunday. Isn't that we the biggest problem with this seventeen game? Thing? I said it last year. I said it. I honestly, I, as soon as they announced it, I said, "How are you going to do quarter all yeah. pro teams? How are you going to do mid season all pros? Like I, How are you going to do it?" I've come to the realization that I don't really care that the records are going to be different. You know, everyone has an extra game. I don't like that too. I I don't like it, but I don't really care anymore. What I do care about is the fact that you can't neatly just divide the season in half anymore. That's annoying. Yeah, it's a big deal. It's kind of a big deal. So. Well, uh, the midseason All-Pro team is going to come out at halftime of the 1 o'clock games on Sunday. I think Except the best for, uh, for the teams playing on Sunday night and Monday night football. Yeah. They're we'll, just automatically uh, excluded. Trickle from them the, out. From we'll the trickle them out. Um, anyway, so we previewed Eagles-Texans yesterday on the show. Uh, special. And we talked a lot about the Texans. Yeah. And what? Seth Payne's neck. Seth Payne's neck, uh, the late 90s Jaguars. It was a big moment to have a late 90s Jaguar representative mm. on the podcast here. So that was great. Um, we made our picks yesterday as well. Yep. At the time, I don't know what it is now, but Philadelphia favored by 14. I think it's still 13 and a half now. It's gone 14 and a half? 13 and a half. 13 and a half, okay. Yeah, moving to the Texans. <laughs> um, so we both took... Money flying in on the Texans. <laughs> we both took the Eagles. It's because of Seth. It's probably because of his appearance. He took the Texans because they're feisty and they're uh, you know good backdoor cover type. Team. I, meant to, uh, I meant to fire to Tyler an update and create a graphic of this, but I didn't bother um so just an update somebody was asking like what are our records in the season you know how are we doing i don't know why you would even respond <laughs> well we're both doing miserably to to put it bluntly i am currently 58 and 65 which puts me seven games below 500 you are currently 47 and 76 which puts you 29 games below 500 the, the like the octopuses, octopi, and the dogs, and the, like the animals that pick games, yeah. way better than you. Like if you just close your eyes, spun in a circle, and went, ah, you would have dramatically better record than you have Maybe right we'll now. Maybe we'll try that today. I, yeah. Maybe we'll try. I'm going back to my own instincts now. Because my own no instincts better. would have been great. They're back. My instincts would have been great last week. No. Would have I, been 10 and 5. I think what you need to do is abandon any input from you whatsoever and simply leave it up to fate. We'll like say. you need to, it's just you a, need it's like a rough a, year. You need a, a roulette wheel, or you need some kind of randomizer. That's your only hope. The coin thing. People were suggesting that's what you need to do. Go to the coin flip. It's a rough year for me right now. Yeah, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> but let's talk about the games. 
Okay. Start with Monday Night Football. Did you purposely not put a spread in the document here? Baltimore Ravens at the New Orleans Saints. It's Monday Night Football. You know what happened? Sam's looking up the line because he deleted it by accident. No, it's not that. It's it's the it's the you never hit enter in the cell thing. Oh yeah. That's what I did. That's what I did. It's two and a half. Two and a half. Ravens, Ravens. favored. Ravens. So the uh, Saints are home dogs here on Monday Night Football. Saints coming off that dominant twenty-four to nothing win against the Raiders and the Ravens, as we've said. A few times here. They're five and three now, right? Yeah, five and three mm-hmm. and won every game, or led by 10, at least once in every single game. What are you looking for in this one? Yeah, which is really remarkable when you think about it. Like their capacity to do that is fascinating. Um, it is. Mark Andrews being a, an injury question mark is, is intriguing. He has had a tendency to play in the past when he's banged up. He's dealing with a shoulder injury is his main thing. He's also got a knee, a knee injury as well. It's part of it. This being Monday Night Football, he's got some extra time to, to rest up. But Andrews is the guy that that passing attack goes through. And if he can't go, Isaiah likely looks like he steps in and basically replaces him not like for like because they're slightly different players and he's not he doesn't have the the track record and the pedigree that that Andrews does as that alpha um passing weapon but everything we've seen from Isaiah likely says that he can be a an impact playmaker for this team and if he has to step in and basically be Mark Andrews for a game I'm, I'm actually all in on seeing what that looks like an underrated aspect of the Ravens win against uh, Tampa Bay last Thursday night is all the injuries that they did experience Mark Andrews tried to play through those injuries they targeted him right off the bat twice yeah. and then he was out and that's when it likely really stepped up also I have to say as much as we talk about interchangeable running backs and all that stuff when the Gus bus is back there Sam Gus Edwards mm-hmm. it looks a little different for the Ravens their rushing attack I'm not saying you know Kenyon Drake's had a few big plays here and there like they've They've rotated a lot and had success with various guys through the years, but Edwards does bring some power to that running attack. He's day-to-day with a hamstring injury, and Rashad Bateman's out as well. Um, and all that to say, and the Saints are number one against the run as far as EPA per play allowed. Could be a pretty good battle here as the Ravens obviously want to run the ball, usually usually want to run the ball. So they have other games where they don't, and the Saints are pretty good in that department right now. This might, Matt, this might also be the first uh, view we get of Deshaun Jackson in that Ravens offense. You know, they, they signed him. He's been on the practice squad. I think he's likely to get activated and play in this game, <clears throat> which is another area of excitement to see for that Ravens offense. Yeah, I mean, we, when they drafted Marquise Brown a couple of years ago, since traded him, but when they drafted him, we said, okay, this makes sense, right? If you're a team that's going to run so much and then – try to create big plays off of play action, why not have those speed receivers? Deshaun Jackson, I mean, I'm not saying he's the best deep threat in NFL history or anything like that, but as far as longevity goes, he's up there, right? As far as longevity and consistently being able to average, you know, a gaudy 17 yards per reception, like you shouldn't be able to do that at, you know, 10, 12, 13 years into your career. And that's where he is, so or what he's done. So, yeah, Deshaun Jackson adding a vertical element could be huge for the Ravens. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and this Ravens offense, I still I think still functions very well or at its best when they're able to run the ball, they're able to do all the things that they do with Lamar Jackson, and then they can take a shot, you know, a deep shot. And Hollywood Brown, I think, was supposed to be that guy. It never really was within that offense, um, but Deshaun Jackson can be. What do we make of the Saints? They're really confusing because yeah. I think there's a lot of good on their team. Um, there's a lot of injuries. They're in, you know, all their, a lot of their top playmakers, Michael Thomas, Jarvis Landry, 
both questionable that they've missed a bunch of time. Marshawn Lattimore at corner missed a bunch of time. But we've seen Chris Olave emerge as an explosive big play threat. And Andy Dalton has played just a really clean brand of football, right? I know that the national TV game, we saw him. He threw three interceptions. One was bad in the end zone. Two were kind of unlucky. Got hit, got tipped. Both became pick sixes. But the, the Saints offense has run pretty well with, with Dalton under center. He's graded between 70 and 80 every game this, this year. He's That's dead. Really good. Consist- Remember when the defining characteristic of Andy Dalton was wild inconsistency, the Dalton coaster. Yeah. He had a graphic about it, a picture. Now Andy Dalton is steadfast, consistent, straight down the middle. You are going to get some kind of grade in the 70s from Andy Dalton right now, which is pretty good. Yes, it is. It is very good. And with the Saints, what they did defensively, the shutdown performance that they had against the Raiders, that's how I commonly describe the Saints, right? Capable of any given week playing that shutdown championship caliber defense. Got their, their pass rush has been much better in recent weeks. We're seeing uh, guys like Peyton Turner, the former first round pick, step up and make some plays. So I don't know, man. I like I just like what the Saints are capable of. And, I, you know, and they say it all the time in college games, rivalry game. Throw the records out the window. Just throw them out. Big rivalry game. You know, that's not this. But, like, does three and five mean anything? Why will we weak? Yeah, yeah, that. Yeah. Does three and five mean anything for the Saints, right? Like, this feels like the, the, the spread, you know, kind of shows this two and a half. But feels like these teams are a lot closer than their records would indicate. There's also, I mean, there's a bunch of teams for this week in particular, but we're reaching that point of the season now where if you're three and five or four, you know, if you're somewhere in that range, you don't have that many more losses you can take if you actually want to be in the playoffs and do anything this season. So teams like, you know, the Rams, the Bucks, we'll get to them, but the Saints, the Packers, the Broncos, the Browns, these are all the, the Cardinals. These are all three and five teams who expected to be contending. The Colts are three, four and one. Like these are all teams that expected to be in the playoffs this year they don't have too many more losses they can take on the schedule and still be in that position so it's kind of now or never and i think one thing that does mean something in the nfl is how much do you need this game like how badly do you want it because in those terms this means more to the saints than it means to the ravens Ooh, a little want to yeah a little want to so you so where are you going with this remember that here? that paul o'connell thing you don't go back you can only go back to that emotional well so many times in the season this is one of those games for the Saints. Got to have it. Sounds like you're leaning Saints here as home dogs. Uh, Maybe not. Yeah. All right. Let's go. Let's do it. Let's, let's Saints to cover the two and a half. Done. It's in. Locked. You're doing it, huh? Doing it. Uh, Baltimore, of course, gets Roquan Smith in. Mm-hmm. They've also, who did they act? They activated uh, David Ajabu and who else? Which is insane, by the way. Dude blew out his Achilles. Yeah, like just before in pre pre draft workouts. Yes. Who did they? Ju- who else did they just activate? Sorry, I lost who it was. You don't even have the list. Come on, ESPN injury report. Hmm. Hmm. Anyway, they're getting some potential re. Oh, with Tyus Bowser. Yeah. Like these are. I'm not saying they're playing on Monday night or anything like that. But the Ravens defense getting some reinforcements here. Yeah. Um. But I think I think the Saints. I want to see if the Saints can do it multiple weeks in a row. They're starting to feel like that team that can't go to the emotional well. All the last week was the Dennis Allen. Well, nobody can. That's the thing. That's, yeah. That was the point of the whole thing. You yeah. can only go to the well so many times in the season. 
Yeah, and you, you know the your, Saints are going to have one for the Bucks later in the year. Yeah, you got to pick your so moments. I'll take the Ravens to cover the uh, the two and a half here. You guys have heard me talk about them before, but our sponsor, Symbol, has their best offer yet for new users. Symbol is offering a $500 risk-free deposit for new users who join the stock market for sports. When you sign up with code FOOTBALL, your first deposit comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. If you were hesitant on joining or simply haven't joined yet, now you can... Try it out with a risk-free deposit. As a reminder, Symbol lets you trade pro and college teams like stocks and earn cash dividend payouts when your teams win. Symbol is a peer-to-peer market that took the thrill of sports betting and turned it into a stock market to give fans a new way to speculate on their favorite pro and college teams. So now you can join with a $500 money-back guarantee. So you just download the Symbol mobile app for iOS by searching S-I-M-B-U. LL in the app store use the code football to get your risk-free deposit up to up to $500 whether you want to invest in an up-and-coming team like the Giants or the top dog Buffalo Bills the Philadelphia Eagles symbol is the place for you I would not be putting my money in a Giants investment account right now well that's what they may have that's what they suggested by the way anybody that missed it uh, yesterday's show, at the back end of it, we put out the video of the baseball, the 60-mile-an-hour pitch, yes or no. We also put it up there as its own individual video we on did. YouTube. So you can go find that on the PFF YouTube channel. Um, my my throwing technique looking an awful lot like Charles Barkley's golf swing. You know, there's like a hitch in the – the whole leg thing threw me off. Like, if you just look at it from the shoulders up, it's okay. Kind of. Yeah, it's fine. may not be, like, you know, whatever your technical like, – this is a man that's never thrown a baseball before. The, kine- um, the kinetic chain of the, the pitching down, motion is... Yeah, anything like here yeah. downwards is, is Charles Barkley. Here upwards is okay. It's a complicated kinetic chain yeah. from ground to hand, yeah. you know, pitching. I might send I might send some clips to uh, Tom House you should. on You'll Twitter and see what he thinks. Yeah. Friend but of I think show, it's Tom. important to, to, to level set here, you I know? I tweeted him right now. Like, this is somebody that's never thrown a baseball before. Commence. Mina Kimes is also a throwing expert as a former first pitch thrower of the yeah. Seattle Mariners. I wonder if she wants to chime I was, in. Uh, I was asking her about it a little bit over the, the DMs. Oh, know, really? We were talking about it. You I was were like, lo- looking for advice. Well, no, not so much looking for advice. I was curious about the, the first pitch thing, you know? I was like, you know, as somebody that's thrown out a first pitch. That was, that was the gist of the conversation. That's good. Anyway, right, so the upshot of that is we're on to the next thing, right? So email us in or message, whatever, charities. We need charity suggestions, and we need the, the thing suggestion, like the forfeit, the challenge, whatever we're doing at the end of this. We need suggestions. We need ideas. We need to hear what you guys want us to do because this is all us coming up with these ideas right now, and we need you guys to donate money. Therefore, you should be as invested in it as we are. So NFLpodcast at pff.com is where to send us ideas if you put, like, charity in the, you know, the, the title, the email title, then... <coughs> We will get to it easier. I tagged Tom House and my old friend Austin Wasserman, my old throwing coach, Perfect. to get your uh, uh-huh. to get their thoughts. It doesn't really matter. I mean, you hit your goal. Your goal was sixty miles an hour. Mm. You executed. I mean, who cares? Well, it's just but, you know, there's a bunch of people being like, "This is the most embarrassing motion I've ever seen." It's like it's also someone that's never done this before. Particularly like whatever this leg. I don't, I don't understand what the purpose of the whole leg thing is with the pitching. It feels unnecessary. Creating just power. Just stand there and throw. Trying, trying to create some power here, Sam. Yeah. Well, it sounded important, so I was trying to do it, but I yeah. can't make that move. That's the thing. It doesn't Charles actually create Barkley. more power if you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. It, well, is, that was, it throws off the kinetic chain. Yeah. Well, that was maybe my error. Yeah. We'll work on it. Uh, Los Angeles Rams at the Tampa Bay Bucks. Bucks favored by three here. Talk about a got to go to the well game here for both teams. Rams yeah. are three and four. The Bucks are three and five. Desperate times. 
for, for both teams here. Both teams played in the playoffs last year. So what are the desperate measures? What are the desperate measures? Desperate times call for desperate measures. What are the desperate measures? I don't know, like somebody's got to block somebody for the Rams and somebody's got to make a play on offense for the Bucks. <laughs> That's what it is. You yeah. Know, so it's, this, uh, it's both teams reeling right now. Go ahead. This game is – these are two underachieving teams. We expected both of them to be amongst the NFC contenders, and they're not either of them right now. But I feel an awful lot better about the Bucks than I do the Rams. Um, Timo, uh, Timo Riska, BFF Moo, uh, had an article that says the Bucks are still 70% to make the playoffs. Yeah. So they, they've just got such an amount of time to get their crap figured out in a way the Rams don't. This is one of those games, like the Saints, the Rams lose this game, they're basically done. They're screwed. I don't, even with winning this game, they might be screwed. The Bucks can still muddle through this and get out the other end, even if they lose. Like, they just have such a bigger margin for error. That being said, at some point, I need to see some changes from Tampa Bay. Like, I, yeah. I need evidence that you're trying to get this back on track as opposed to going in every week going, maybe this is the week it works. You know, I just I need to see evidence that you're trying something new because what you're doing right now is not working. Yeah, part of what's not working is the run game is one of the least efficient in the NFL. Where are they in EPA per play? I think they're last. Yes, dead last by a mile, the, the mile. running attack for Tampa Bay. So some of the discussion by Tampa Bay media is that they need to run more is that they need to establish the run and get back to that. And it's, um, it's trickier than that, right? Because they're really bad at running the ball. So if you're going to be better at running the ball, it doesn't mean do more of it. It means figure out a better way to run. Do you spread to run, right? I mean, historically in Bruce Arians' offense, they like to throw multiple tight ends in there or, you know, compress their wide receivers in. And, but, like, they're, they're bringing people into the box and basically saying, we're just going to beat you up up front. And that's not that's the part that's not working. We said this about the Ravens last year at, at one point where they wanted the, they wanted to do that too, multiple tight ends and and they were struggling. And then we said, what if they spread to run? What if you spread to run? And I, I think that's the adjustment the Bucks need. I think they need to go full spread. I don't think they need to run more. I think you actually have to go three and four wide. And because they don't have Gronk anymore. Gronk's a great pass catcher, but he's an outstanding run blocker. You don't have that guy up front. You don't want more guys in the box. I think going to Rashad White, the rookie, who's awesome in space, and going full spread, and you put in it all on Brady again, put, put the pressure on Brady to make the underneath throws. That's where he struggled a little bit, is some of the underneath throws accuracy-wise. He's still throwing the ball down the field pretty well. But put go spread game. Spread to run, spread to pass, put it on Brady to, you know, to make the adjustments at the line when the box counts in his favor and all that stuff. But I have a feeling they're going to go the other way. And they're going to bring in their multiple tight ends and just, you know, run it up the gut with Leonard Fournette and hope it's better. And if they do that, it could get ugly. Are you surprised that Brady has not made the phone call? Or maybe he has made the phone call, but hasn't successfully wooed Rob Gronkowski back onto the field yet. Yeah, I, I think I always assumed that was that was going to happen. And it, I mean, literally the day that he retired, I think, was it Drew Rosenhaus was like, yeah. I mean, you know, if he picks up the phone late in the season, maybe, maybe Gronk comes out of retirement. Like, when that happens the day the guy calls a quits, it sounds an awful lot like... I just don't want to really be here for training camp and maybe the first yeah. six weeks, but after that, I'm in. Like, and if you look at Brady's on-off splits for Gronk throughout his career, 
look, this is a very crude mechan- or measurement, but they're pretty glaring. Like, when Brady doesn't have Gronk, Brady doesn't tend to play like Brady. Yeah, I mean, we've, we've seen that a little bit here. And I think, but that's part of the adjustment too, right? It's like, you, if you don't have Gronk work in the middle of the field. Right, but my point being that that's a very fixable thing if you can pick up the phone and be like, hey, Gronk, yeah, I don't know. I need you here. Though. I mean, even in 2020, when Gronk was coming off of a full year of retirement, it took him half a season to get his legs under him and all that stuff. Which is why you kind of need to be getting on with it, you know? Yeah. It's, I mean, that ship's probably sailed. Um, but Chris Godwin, I mean, there, there's just like a lot of stuff adding up. Because if you look at the Bucks on paper, Mike Evans is still there. Chris Godwin's still there. Julio Jones is there. I mean, Julio, every time he touches the ball, it's like, okay, is, is this his last play? Is he going to come out injured? And Chris Godwin is still coming off of an ACL. And that does, for most guys, take some time. He's not the same guy right now. So um, the other part about the Bucs, it seems like the stuff that reverts back to the mean is all the stuff they're really bad at right now. Red zone offense is atrocious. Third and, you know, third and fourth and short is atrocious. Like, will that just, will that just get better over time? And I think that's why you feel better about the Bucs turning it around maybe than the Rams. And also some of the things that people think are bad are not like because everything else is awful it's making the offensive line look bad so everyone's like oh tampa bay's offensive line is garbage they're getting wrecked like this is not the group that they were dealing with before when tom brady was there and everything was working for him. it's like okay yeah that's true it isn't as good as it has been in the past it's still pretty good well i think what's happened is uh, remember 2019 baker mayfield and the browns where baker was just Right, where the offense was the Freddie Kitchens mess, and but, then everything fell apart. But it was more like the offensive line issue was more Baker was reacting to yeah. it more so than the actual pressure that was coming through. I, th- I think Brady just knows it, he's known Luke uh, Godicky has been the left guard, yeah, and so Brady's time to throw is quicker than ever, and he's getting rid of the ball because he doesn't trust them up front mm-hmm. as much. Our the other thing is there's a little difference between our pass block grades and say like ESPNs. Our pass block grades are much better for the Bucks right now, whereas ESPNs are not. ESPN generally leans more on quick losses, where we're more total losses, we'll say. ESPN's pass rush win rate is terrible for the Bucks. So there is probably some truth in between between those two metrics where Brady's got to get rid of the ball quicker than he ever has. But I also think a big part of that is Godicky has been bad, and now he's probably not the lineup going forward. Yeah. So I, I genuinely think that this offensive line is being made to look a lot worse than it actually is because of everything else not functioning. If, again, they can figure out how to get the other stuff on track, all of a sudden Tampa Bay's offensive line goes back to being completely fine. Nobody's talking about it, and it's a platform for them to go forward. Like This is why I'm so much less concerned like I, Green Bay are screwed, right? They have no wide receivers and no real obvious pathway to getting wide receivers absent Odell Beckham coming back and even OBJ. I mean, remember, like the dude is recovering, like he's in rehab. Like it's not like OBJ is already 100% on the treadmill just waiting for this, the, the signature. He's rehabbing, like he's not there yet. Um, and the Rams, like their offensive line is in ribbons and there's not you know, five capable starting offensive linemen sitting there on the street ready to be signed. So I don't really see the pathway for either of those teams to get their season back on track. The Bucks, everything that ails them is already in the building. Like, there's no reason this team should be as bad as it's been. Therefore, if they can just figure out how to piece the puzzle back together again, you can put a championship caliber back, team back on the field. So the question now, though, is historically the Rams have done a great job against the Bucks. Um, whether it's Brady's Bucks or Jameis's Bucks, the Rams have uh, gotten the better of them. Uh, they've beaten 
Brady what three times now in the last in the last two seasons. So do the Ram- is this the Rams get right game just because the matchup is good, right? We've got Aaron Donald. So say what you want about the offensive line with the Bucs. Aaron Donald's still going to wreak havoc up front, even if uh, Goddickey's out of the game. Like It's not like Nick Leverett against Aaron Donald is all of a sudden an advantage. And the Rams defense, led by Jalen Ramsey, Bobby Wagner, both guys having great seasons. Rams defense doesn't look like the defense that the Bucs offense gets back on track. The question's going to be on the other side, can the Rams pass protect? And last year, Todd Bowles loves to blitz. He zero blitzes with the game on the line. And, and Stafford to Cup is unstoppable. The matchup has generally been in the, in the Rams' favor. And I think that's what, if you're a Bucks fan, that's a little scary. And if you're a Rams fan, even though you're like, hey, long-term prospects might not be good, this might be a good week to get to 4-4 four and four if you're the Rams. Yeah, maybe. Um, I, they definitely have that advantage with Aaron Donald on the defensive line. Um, they're also helped by the fact that the Bucks lost Shaquille Barrett, so their best pass rusher isn't a factor anymore. Uh, you know, that's going to help the Rams' offensive line survive. On the other hand, they still have Vita Vea. Like, they still got players that can cause problems. But, I, yeah, it's, it is a good matchup generally for the Rams. Um, but I do think that the Bucks just have a higher ceiling right now, or even a higher floor. Like Matthew Stafford's average at the target last week was like 4.6. Like they're just desperately trying. They're playing, you know, like the, some of these other teams have just like try and make the offensive line not a problem. Just get the ball out of his hand, lightning fast, put it somewhere quickly, try and prevent him getting murdered. And it's very hard to win games consistently like that. Looking at the PFF app right now, they seem to like the Bucks yeah. minus three. I like in the, the over. 42 and a half I'm going Rams just because I think the history matters here I think the I think the matchup of Rams Bucks I think the history matters um, even though it's in Tampa Bay Bucks have played a little bit better at home but I'll take the Rams as underdogs here on the road with the PFF app which you all have to check out we got all of our player props are outstanding and they're adding to the app every single week player props bets what's the face y'all huh no I did not you did I didn't say y'all. Yes, you did. Can we get a replay? Just like that ad, you know, the challenge flag. We're going to run the tape back. Yeah, I want to run the tape. The last time we did that, I was proven correct. You said y'all. No. Last time. You did it. What? The last time you said it, I pulled you up on it. You're like, no, I didn't say that. And then we ran it back in the booth. And they're like, no, you you did. This is exactly the same thing. You've done it again. I pointed out again. Maybe someone will tell me, but either way, it happened. You just said y'all again. Let me know in the chat if I said y'all. But I think, um, and hit that, hit the thumbs up. Only 24 people hit the thumbs up button so far. Let's go. 294 people are watching this right now. Which is long, because I get to to tweet it out. Um, I probably said y'all. I basically live in northern Mm. Kentucky, so I probably did. That's what I'm saying. So y'all check out the app now. PFF for iOS. Go check it out. What's next? Chargers at the Falcons. I almost said Clippers. LAC still makes me say, think LA Clippers. Los Angeles Chargers at the Falcons. Chargers favored by three against the NFC South leading Atlanta Falcons. Mm. At what, four and four? At four and four. Yeah. I mean, the Chargers, or not the Chargers, the, the Falcons, they've maintained this run that I kind of said at the start of the season, like they, it might not be a great team, but that offense is going to be fun because they're a very difficult team to match up with. They play in a slightly different way than most teams, and that is going to cause points to be put on the board. 
consistently. In this particular game, the Chargers, again, are dead-ass last in run defense, just as measured by you know yards per carry. They're giving up 5.7 yards per attempt. Atlanta's run, def- or Atlanta's run attack has worked, regardless of what running backs are available. They will put up um, yards on the ground. That Marcus Mariota is a factor as well, rushing. And all that lets them pass as well. So this is another matchup where I think Atlanta looks good to be able to put up points, to be able to move the ball. And then it puts a lot of pressure on Justin Herbert to keep pace. We've, we've, we've talked a lot about the, the state of quarterback play around the NFL and discussed how maybe there's a ton of mid-tier type of quarterbacks. And, if you ha- and those guys are easy to find or whatever it might be. And if you have those guys that you know maybe there's maybe you can win with them right so marcus mariota the falcons are finding a way they're four and four whatever but they're finding a way to win with marcus mariota under center sure he was a he was about a 500 ish type of quarterback right the titans went nine and seven for years but if you have a mid-tier type of quarterback or a low-end type of starter like a mariota whatever you want to call him doing something different might be the way to go. I think you have to give a ton of credit to Arthur Smith, how they've built this offense, built the running game. Um, was just upstairs with our friend Ben Lindsay. He's over there. He works with um, the Thursday Night Football crew, Amazon Prime. And he's and he, he dropped the stat for me. He said, fourth best EPA per play in the league is the Falcons, which is incredible given how often they run the ball. Yeah. It really <clears> is. <throat> but they're finding they're, they're unique, right? They're in this different world of we're going to run the ball. We're going to run it differently. We're going to run it more. We're going to run more play action. We're going to just do it differently. And that's helping elevate everybody on this offense. Plus, they do have a good group of playmakers, right, with Drake London and Kyle Pitts and, you know, who they can trot out there every week. Yeah, they're so hard. I've said this all season long. They are so hard to match up with. Like, Drake London is a big, imposing wide receiver that when he breaks inside and you're behind him trailing the play, it's so hard to get around that guy and make a play on the football because the catch radius that he has, if the ball's in any way, shape, or form accurate, there's too much real estate in, in his body to move around and be able to make a play on it. He's going, to get, he's going to be in position before you are. Kyle Pitts is an even more extreme version of that where he's even bigger, the same kind of speed, and he can you know line up as a wide receiver or a tight end so they are so difficult to try and stop from making plays so even if you get pressure or it breaks down and Marcus Mariota is on the move trying to make something happen if he just puts it in the general vicinity of those guys if they have position they're going to make the play and you're not Mariota 48 percent play action rate 48 percent of his dropbacks about half of his dropbacks I mean it's extreme stuff I know I know it's also because he has certain games where he's dropped back 14 times and 18 times, 20 times, or whatever. But half of your dropbacks off play action, by the way, Tua is number two at 43%. Um, sometimes, I mean, Daniel Jones is third at 38%. Daniel Jones used to be on the other end of that with the Giants. I know sometimes it sounds like we oversimplify football, and it's like, just call more plays where you fake the handoff to the running back. But sometimes maybe just call more plays where you fake the handoff to the running back, and it creates more space. And I think... The Falcons are showing that, man. So that's why they're 4-4 four and four right now. I think Vegas clearly agrees the Chargers are a better team. Chargers are tough to figure out, but, man, Chargers against the run? Mm, not good, pretty Bob. Pretty bad for uh, multiple years running here. So I don't know if the matchup works well 
for them. No, I like this matchup for um, the Falcons. I think that offense is going to be able to run the ball. I mean, they ran the ball last week against the Panthers, who going into that game had the number one run defense in the NFL measured by yards per attempt. The Chargers are last. So it kind of feels like it would be very surprising if they didn't have a lot of success running the ball. And okay, Atlanta's defense is not good. And that's definitely going to help the Chargers keep pace. And obviously, Justin Herbert is a better quarterback than Marcus Mariota. But, you know, Herbert has been dealing with those ribs. He hasn't played the way we know he can play so far this season. Um, I just, I think that Atlanta can keep this within a uh, within that three points and maybe has a shot to win it there's a bit of a story behind the chargers run defense and this is why i'm going to lean chargers they're 20th in positive epa per play allowed against the run but they're uh they're 20th best um which isn't bad we'll say we'll say 12th worst but they're fifth worst epa overall they're giving up big plays that's where the yards per carry numbers coming from the chargers giving up those big plays right they set that record for most 50 yard or whatever given up in the first seven games whatever that number was that's going to change right that has to change over time the chargers can't keep giving up long runs like that so they're down to down work against the run is better than expected um i like the chargers here i think herbert in the past game get back on track against that being Atlanta said defense. this falcons rush attack has had a lot of those big plays as well yeah i know <laughs> i know it's but it's one of those things of those are the harder things to to bank on even if you're good at it it's still tough to sustain both positively or negatively so i'll take the chargers to uh oh man cover on the road mm-hmm. with all their stuff it's going to come down to it's going to come down to fourth down decisions isn't it or kicks Ten- love those kickers tennessee titans at the kansas city chiefs a battle of last year's top two seeds in the AFC, Tennessee Titans, the defending number one seed. And the Chiefs are favored by 12 and a half here at home on Sunday night football. I think Titans are, they're the number two seed right now, right? In the AFC? Probably. I think they're always the one or two seed secretly, no matter how they feel, no matter how it feels. Right? That's what the Titans do. Uh, I mean, I think, yeah. So Buffalo six and one, Tennessee and Kansas City are both five and two, but I think Tennessee has the tiebreakers, things currently stand. So this is a battle between the two and the three seed. These teams have played a bunch the last couple of years. Last year's matchup. This is when we started to say, is the, uh, you know, is it all falling apart for the Chiefs? The Chiefs last year, they remember, it's tough to remember this sometimes. We knew they had issues, but they fell to three and four. Yeah. The Chiefs fell to three and four in week seven last year after losing to the Titans 27 to three. Three points for a Mahomes-led, off, a Mahomes-led offense that had Tyreek Hill, that had Travis Kelsey. And we always talk about how the Titans are, you know, they're a tough team to figure out. Like, how do they do it? What do they, what do, they do? You know, they were putting Dane Cruikshank on uh, Travis Kelsey, and they were creating pressure and forcing turnovers and the whole thing. The Tennessee Titans just continue to, like, overachieve based off what maybe their personnel says. But that's what happened last year. Um, and that was, that was when Tennessee went on their little bit of a run. Doesn't necessarily mean anything for this year, but fascinating that that's where we were last year, right around this time, as people were really questioning what the Chiefs were capable of, and the Titans just kept rolling, you know, rattling off big wins. Yeah, this was like there was a couple of week stretch last year where Kansas City looked in reasonable trouble. It was the Titans game where they got wrecked, and then the following game, even though they beat the Giants. They beat them in such a way that everyone's like, okay, it's it's legitimately time to panic about this offense now. 
and then they managed to sort of get things back on yeah, track. They barely they beat the Giants twenty to seventeen. They barely beat uh, Jordan Love's Packers thirteen to seven. Yeah. Um, since that point, though, that was Raiders what a lot happened. of the. Then it was like the Raiders have fixed the the Chiefs. Yeah. So the Chiefs offense this year, though, uh, the the too high narrative is is gone now, right? You can't just sit in too high and and beat the Chiefs because Mahomes has played um, just a better brand of football this year than he did last year. Spread the ball around. Uh, Travis Kelsey remains unstoppable, but they're finding big plays from Juju Smith-Schuster. And, you know, they're coming off a bye. They're also coming off a bye. And I think think the Andy Reid coming off a bye – and he, is what a are huge updated, factor. In yeah, this what way. are the updated numbers on that? Because remember, there was a period where he had never lost coming off a bye. I don't know. I'm just going to keep this I narrative. I think that part is gone, forever. but he's probably still like, you know, some absurd number and one. What was their bye last year? I think the, before, the, uh, before the Broncos, they beat him 22 to 9. I think that sounds right. To me, like, this is the game, you know, Tennessee is this team that is very difficult to work out. And they've gone on this run now where they lost two straight to open the season and then they've won a bunch of games back to back but if you look at the teams they've beaten they haven't beaten anybody you know it's like this is the first test of okay are you actually going to do what you did last year which is confound people and somehow win a bunch of games that you didn't look like you were capable of winning or did you simply beat up on the bad teams on your schedule so far this year and when you run up against a legitimate contender it's going to get you know you're going to get annihilated I mean the other factor is they probably got Malik Willis a quarterback again right and I mean that that's you might why need to pass this time. That changes everything. Yeah. Uh, Tannehill, limited participant on Wednesday, saying he's still dealing with pain, but maybe may be able to play through it Sunday against the Chiefs. Yeah, which is the kind of thing you would say even if there was no shot whatsoever, just to give you know to make them think about something. That doesn't sound like if they have to, they're going to need to pass the ball against Kansas City in a way that didn't have to happen against Houston, and if they have to pass the ball with Malik Willis. It doesn't feel like it's going to go that well. Was just watching Malik Willis's interception um, yesterday. Seth Galina's in town, one of our uh, schematic and QB gurus here at PFF. He's he's filling in on it's just football this week for uh, Mike Renner, who seems to take um, midseason vacations. But uh, <laughs> what I'm just just Renner, it's just Renner. Is he on the Bachelor again? Yeah, who knows? Maybe. Um, but so we were watching Malik Willis's interception, and it's like. He was just really late on it. Eyes were in the wrong place. Like he, he throws this should have been a skinny post, which turned into a you know flattened dig route, which is late. And it's like, man, when you come out of play action, that's your first read. Just throw it right there. And he was just late on it. And it's like asking Willis to to be good in the pass game, throw after throw, is really risky against the Chiefs team, where you you are gonna unless you can absolutely control the clock and legitimately shorten the game and run 15 play drives with Derrick Henry rattling out four to five a pop, you're going to have to win through the pass game, and that's a lot of pressure on Willis here. I said this on he's the guy. Titans radio during the week that right now, I think I said it in the podcast as well, but Malik Willis reminds me of Taysom Hill at the moment. The difference between the two is that Malik Willis is, what, 23 years old. He's presumably got an upside that Taysom Hill doesn't as a passer. But that's what you're talking about right now. You're talking about a special athlete, a guy that can run the ball incredibly, is a real factor in that area. He can pass the ball. He's got a, I mean, he's got a better arm than Taysom Hill by a mile. He can certainly pass the ball and make a spectacular throw, but he can't really play quarterback at the moment. Like, Or if he does, your offense needs to be way different than it usually is. Like, You need to create some kind of custom, bespoke, weird offense that only functions around him, which is possible 
but I mean, puts it, you in a you very small box. A lot of misdirection, yeah. one read it, type it, of stuff. It puts you in a very, very small box in terms of what you can do with that. The, as I say, the difference being that you expect, okay, down the line, he can develop into something more, whereas yeah. Taysom Hill is like 29 years old when he first got that gig, and you're like, that's never going to go anywhere. Um, I think, I think if, if Malik Willis is the guy and the Titans are going to have a shot here, Remember last year on Monday Night Football where Justin Fields randomly had like six big-time throws? Yeah. And again, there's, there was inconsistency in there, but it's like, man, there is Justin Fields' big playability. You need to catch like an absurd run of yeah. variance where he just hits three dimes yeah. and doesn't that, screw up. That was what I loved. Like the first time you just like just going through Malik Willis's big-time throw list, playlist, was oh, like, oh my gosh. Like the, like the velocity and carry of a Josh Allen, uh-huh. you know, the throwing on the run ability. Like, uh, the, the special is really really special from Malik Willis the other part too they didn't tap into him as a runner at all last week um so to your point you do have to like tap into that a little which bit. is worrying I mean like, come on this kind of this kind of surprised you you know like you you draft Malik Willis he's your backup surely it's crossed somebody's mind that at some point this guy might need to start a game this year if, if Tannehill goes down I don't think it, what does it look like if we have to do that it's like the Justin Fields thing. Like, how does it take you a year and a half to say, what if we... Uh, I didn't, I, I didn't read that. part of the design run game? I didn't read that from the Titans. I think they really just looked at Derrick Henry and the Texans' run defense that our friend Seth Payne just completely trashed yesterday on the show, and it was like, we're just going to run Derrick Henry. I mean, He's going to get his 200-plus. I, I think they know more hmm. than this. I think they do. Can I... Uh, you mentioned that uh, Seth Galina was a guru. I think we need a moratorium on the word guru. And I have, oh, a, okay. I have an alternative suggestion for you. Yes. I'm he, open. I'm he's open. A, he's a schematic sage. A sage. A sage. Yeah. yeah. Well, how would you define the difference between a guru and a sage? Well, I think they're very similar. I just think the guru has been flogged to death over the last few years, and we need a different word. We need the to, other thing is— You and I need to demonstrate our, 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 our superior vocabulary to all the other people that just default to guru because that's what everyone else says. Yeah. The other thing is I don't even know if Seth is actually good at the quarterback stuff. He just looks at quarterbacks and schemes a lot. He might not actually be good at it. Sure. Guru implies good. Maybe he's just a, a quarterback and schematic fan that <laughs> likes to look at stuff a lot, but he might not actually be effective. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. I haven't evaluated his performance about evaluating performances. Well, I think they both imply, you know, useful. Like guru, I think, is an edu- there's an educational aspect to guru, right? You impart information. Mm. Whereas sage... You're just a wise man. Uh, you know, you have sage wisdom. I don't know if Seth has earned that. I don't know if he's sage enough. No, but if we're going to compl- if we're going to give him the benefit of the doubt that he's both smart and knows what he's doing, the only then other I issue just think with- we should default to a better word. Yeah, the only other issue with sage is you know Rosenthal. Hmm. It's confusing. Is it? Yeah. I don't think it's that confusing. Because you're talking about quarterback, you're talking about sage, like a spice. You're thinking about. But if you say he's you're thinking about the old backup quarterback from Iowa State. He's a quarterback State. sage. You think you're immediately going to be like he's wrong? I don't know. I don't think that's a problem. I, I don't. Where are you going? Twelve and a half here. Uh God, that's a lot of points. Like if Tannehill plays, I think it's closer. But I think Kansas City's hit their stride. They're at home. They're at home in prime time, man. They pulled away from the Niners a couple weeks ago. I think the Titans are going to need to do too much as a passing offense with a quarterback that I don't know that can pass. Yeah, so, give me the tight. I mean, give me the Chiefs to cover. To cover. The what's your methodology this week? Are you uh, just, I'm just making my picks. You're actually just going with your own insights. Yes. No matter how much 
Yeah, I'm coming off of 10. I, I was 10 and 5 last week off my own insight. Because I was 5 and That's 10, true, without, yeah. right? I was 10 and 5 coming off my own. I'm going to ride the momentum. <laughs> I believe in momentum when it comes to my picks. So I'm back. <laughs> the PFF NFL podcast is sponsored by Western and Southern Financial Group. While y'all focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow? Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. Y'all. Seattle Seahawks at the Arizona Cardinals. Cardinals favored by two. Mm. Seahawks just beat the Cardinals a couple weeks ago. Different offense in Arizona now. Kyler can average more than six yards per attempt with DeAndre Hopkins here. Yeah, so that's the thing I, I'm curious about. How do they try and defend slash slow down Nuke Hopkins? Because that's the Cardinals offense at the moment. It's, yeah, Nuke's back. Let's load him up. That's the only thing we have that's going to succeed long term. That's the way we move the ball, which is great in a way for Seattle because it gives you a very obvious thing to target. Like the, the game plan this week or the thing we must divine is how we stop their best player. Yeah. The end. Yeah, but, you know, like you said, they're getting a little bit more creative with him. We'll see some uh, new Hopkins versus Tariq Woolen matchups. Yeah. Um, to me, this is the story of the season for Seattle. I don't think preseason analysis on Seattle was that the roster is not very good and they have a bottom tier quarterback in Geno Smith. I don't think that the initial. So what's changed since that point? What's changed is Geno Smith is not playing like a bottom tier quarterback. He's playing like one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL right now. By the way, the Cardinals went back to the usual New Hopkins deployment last week. They didn't keep him in the slot. So that's where he will see Tariq Woolen pretty much all the time, right? Right corner. If they do what they did, yeah. if they did, if they do what they did last week, it will be Woolen versus Hopkins almost exclusively. So that sounds like fun. That'll be great. So what's changed on Seattle this year? Um, Geno Smith playing at a high level. The and then the defense, which also did not look very good on paper just getting so you've got the rookies like woolen stepping up you have a ryan neal who it was just it wasn't just one ryan neal game the backup safety turned starter played well again last week you have Echenna and wosu basically one of the most impactful offseason additions so far this season 28 mm-hmm. pressures playing really well for the seahawks the defense that looked really bad on paper and was actually not good the last couple of years is just playing better this year and I think Seattle sitting here at five and three, they're a good solid team. All that said, Vegas still believes the uh, the history, right? There's a little bit of the, like Seattle's not completely turned the corner, so they have Arizona favored here by by the two. Yeah, which is kind of fascinating. Okay, it's they're at home, so this is kind of like a coin flip with the diminishing impact of home field advantage and stuff. That used to be like a three point bump for the home team. Now it's probably more like two. So Vegas is essentially saying this is a coin flip, um, but. You know, this season, Gino has been the better quarterback. Okay, that's that doesn't that doesn't extend any further than beyond this season. But this year, Gino has been the better of the two quarterbacks. I think Seattle has more weapons on offense than the Cardinals do. Cardinals might have the best weapon in New Hopkins, but when you look at who across the board the Seahawks can deploy on offense, they've been better. Their offensive line has been steadily improving and should be able to pretty much neutralize what the Cardinals can bring from a pass rushing standpoint I think the matchup says that Seattle can put up points and do well on offense and then it comes down to can they slow down 
what the Cardinals bring, which if it's Tariq Woolen versus New Hopkins, is actually not a bad matchup for them. Particularly, again, like if, if the Cardinals are not going to move Hopkins around, that's what makes them scariest. If they start moving him to the slot, if they start trying to get him away from their best coverage, that's what makes them hardest to defend. If they're just going to go back to that, he plays left wide receiver, 50 snaps, it's easier. Yeah, and I think Arizona's car, uh, defense in general has just, that's concerned me. We've seen J.J. Watt not playing at the same level this year. Um, until he played Ed Ingram. Until he played in Ed Ingram. Zach Allen has had a nice breakout season uh, along the defensive line. But that, but that's kind of like Arizona's best bet here. They have had a solid pass rush. We saw plays last week where Isaiah Simmons breaks free on a, on a blitz and, you know, strip sack of Kirk Cousins. They've gotten home, or, you know, pass rush-wise. Coverage unit has the second worst grade in the NFL, and I think that's the that's the concern. Beyond Buda Baker and Byron Murphy, they're just not getting any sort of production in that back seven. So, I like Seattle, man. I, I like. I had little faith in Seattle. I had little faith in Geno Smith keeping it up until the Saints game, where I said, okay, I think I think this is for real. It doesn't mean he's going to be a ninety-plus quarterback necessarily this year, but it means he's sitting here as like our fourth graded quarterback i think and he's going to be top 10 this year geno smith's going to be a top 10 quarterback this year i think even if he regresses a little bit i don't think it's going to be which means we're going to lose that bet yeah we're going to lose the bet where somebody <laughs> bet i was like absolutely we'll sprint to the podium for this one right. it's one of the one of the like least likely things to have happened yeah uh, we're going to end up losing that one i'm in on seattle here they're going to cover the uh, plus kenneth kenneth walker's maybe the best running back in the nfl per maybe. some maybe per some people Somebody tried to say that you called out Pat McAfee on the show yesterday. That was yeah, not true. I didn't. I saw you defend yourself in the chat. Yeah. You never did. I don't. We no. love Pat. Yeah. We mentioned that McAfee was railing against the NFL's thing. Yeah, exactly. Which was, but you, that, you said we, good. Yeah, we didn't call him out for it. Like, it was, yeah. that's the thing. And I was saying I hate how people do overreaction stuff. And McAfee, I think, does it on purpose, like as a bit of a spoof. Like, we're going to overreact. This is what we're going to do. He just covers, I mean, he also kind just of covers shit. everything. And he's... It's not even yeah. so much overreacting. He's well, they have like a specific like hashtag. Yeah, like, but he's also like, one of these people that's that. like wired it. He's he's constantly on your like 300 milligrams of caffeine thing all the time. You know, that's while just we're doing default setting while we're talking Seahawks. Shout out to Cascade Ice shout up in, uh, in Washington. My uh, uh, my Seattle sponsor. Am I allowed to do that? Is that, is that allowed? I mean, nobody's I, stopping you. I, I just did it. Yeah, here you go. Seahawks starting quarterback. <laughs> this was so like unlikely that he even caveated. Gino Orlock will be top 25% in qualifying quarterbacks in PFF grade. That looks very likely to hit. It does. Hit. It does. That's looking good so far. Mm -hmm. What do we owe him? Subscription? I don't know. A little PFF plus? Yeah. Miami Dolphins at the Chicago Bears. A little Marino versus the 85 Bears. That's what we'll watch this week to, to, to prepare. Imagine if that was the matchup. No, it's two of fields, and it's uh, Miami favored by five going into Chicago here mm -hmm. what are you looking for in this one I mean another test of the Chicago offense that's kind of got itself on track and you know last week they didn't have as much of the designed run stuff for fields he just played better which I think is actually an even more positive development like he went up against this Dallas defense which is one of the most formidable defenses in the NFL and he was making plays and he was adjusting and he was doing you know more quarterback things than we've seen from him in the past so between the first game showing that designed run threat of fields and then the second game just showing him looking better the bears might actually be on track on offense they're a very good run blocking 
offensive line. I think they're top three, something like that. Maybe it's only the Browns have a higher PFF run blocking grade from a, from an offensive line standpoint. Um, so this is actually like a fun test for them against a Miami defense that's very um, unusual. Like they they have a different defense to a lot of other teams. It's not necessarily the best in the world, but it's an intriguing matchup for them. Do they blitz as much, right? So uh, at the trade deadline, the Miami Dolphins trade for Bradley Chubb. We went through that trade yesterday. They did just lock him up five years over $100 million for Chubb going forward. The Dolphins are rolling four and five deep at edge rusher. They've got some legitimate pass rushers. And I think because they've had injuries on the back end and everything this year, they don't want to blitz as much and they don't want to you know play as much man coverage as they have in the past. And they want to rely on Bradley Chubb and everybody up front to create that pressure. So I'm curious to see if that is how Miami's going to play this defensively. Um, and the other part about the Chicago offensive line, we show up here all the time and like, I think because on paper they're not looking good. They got a fifth round rookie at left tackle. We're expecting them to really get wrecked every week. There are weeks where that's been the case, but they've done a good job in Chicago of protecting the Bears O-line in pass protection. They've got the third lowest number of true pass sets, one of our numbers where we take out screens and rollouts and uh, play action and the things that actually make it easier to pass protect. Now, part of that is the Bears haven't thrown as much as other teams, but that's that's one of the good things they're doing offensively, all right? To your point about how they're adjusting the offense and tapping into all the field's ability, they're protecting an offensive line, I think, that needs some protection. So we'll see if they can keep that up. Um, when they are left in those true pass sets, the Bears have the fourth worst pass blocking grade. Like, they shouldn't be oh, yeah. trusted in like, those areas. But they're doing a good job of playing to their strengths offensively in Chicago. They're one of the most one-sided off, or offensive lines in the NFL. They are, I think, second or third in, in run blocking grade, but they're one of the worst pass blocking offensive lines right. in the league. So they, they are a very, very one-sided um, offensive line and absolutely should be leaning on that run game. It's, it's a very important conversation to have when people say they have a good offensive line therefore the quarterback and running back will both benefit it's not really the case they're they're, they're two different skill sets and, and now like the eagles are good at both so that yeah. helps the run game and the quarterback but we've talked about the titans before where they're one-sided right they're grading in yeah. the run game bad in pass protection bears are kind of trending the similar. bears should be taking inspiration for what the from what the atlanta falcons do because they, they're similar they're a better run blocking offensive line than they are pass blocking and they are very good at minimizing the number of plays where the offensive line has to pass protect because they're able to tap into the run game with uh, Marcus Mariota. They're able to hide the number of times where they're operating in true pass sets because it's play action, it's moving pockets, it's all these kinds of things, and it's successful. Like, it's functioning. So, okay, Chicago doesn't have the receiving weapons that the Falcons do. They don't have a Kyle Pitts. They don't have a uh, Drake London. They just traded for um, for the Chase Claypool. Like, they can lean into it a bit, but that's the kind of offense that they need to be emulating with Justin Fields. So, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing Chase Claypool and how he does uh, fit in, how they use him, along with Darnell Mooney. And then on the other side, uh, I think we let we mentioned going into last week's game, good for the Dolphins as far as what Tyree Kill and um, Jason, uh, J, uh, Jalen Waddle. Jalen Waddle, wow. How, the, how, they've, how productive Hill and Waddle have been However, it hasn't really led to a lot of points. Now, they destroyed a Lions defense last week that is on pace to be historically bad. So, for like the second year, in, for, for the second time in three years, by the way. Um, so, not to take anything away from the Dolphins, but yeah, they haven't, they, 
with Tua under center, they've scored over 21 points twice now, right? Once against the Ravens in week two with that crazy second half, and then once last week um, against the Lions. Tua has been fantastic as far as um, hitting hitting the open throws, basically. That's what Tua is doing. But somebody made the point. He's got more, looked at our you know premium stats, 2.0. Tua has more turnover-worthy plays than big-time throws and is still grading extremely well. And that is, a, that is a rarity, and that's because he has a ton of positives and he's not missing, purely missing a ton of throws, um, which is very Jimmy Garoppolo-esque, right? This is what you want, right? Take advantage of the positives that this offense brings. Just want to see if they can remain consistent as far as putting points on the board. But I, I don't think the Bears have answers for Hill and Waddle. Gasecki in this passing attack no I don't think they do either if they're gonna stop them it's kind of relying on the Dolphins not executing particularly well like they don't have the pass rush to cause problems either if Miami has weaknesses on the offensive line which they still do so Miami should put up a ton of points and then it's just a question of whether Justin Fields and this Bears offense that's getting itself together can hang and the answer to that is probably not like certainly not enough to cover five so my thing i'm thinking five i I feel like the bears are at that point where they can they can keep this close there was some freak plays last week they're in dallas on a short week i think at home the bears are going to keep it close enough the dolphins have played a lot of close games yeah i think the dolphins are going to get theirs offensively but i think the bears might as well so i'll take the bears to cover the five i don't feel great about it because it's the bears but no i don't think they can keep it within five all right, Minnesota Vikings at the Washington Commanders. The Vikings, 6-1 and one Vikings, favored by 3.5 here at the Commanders. Yep. Fresh um, with uh, TJ Hawkinson in the picture here. Yes, yeah, yeah. So Hawkinson this year has had a couple of those uh, just huge plays. He had an 81-yarder a couple weeks ago where he ran through the defense. Every Sometimes you just see this in tight ends' careers where all of a sudden they just go beast mode in the open field or become they just they play with this extra level of physicality or intensity or whatever it might be i feel like hawkinson's taken that leap this year um it's only been a handful of plays that you're really seeing it we saw it last week though he had another big play as well but he's become an after the catch threat he's averaging over 15 yards per, per reception and that is such a good fit man when you when you add that middle of the field threat to what justin jefferson and adam Thielen bring to the table um i know they just had irv smith and he's injured and all that but even if irv i don't think this is a reaction to irv smith i think it's they could coexist in this offense if needed and the vikings are just saying man we just want to you know keep adding playmakers for cousins here every interview with a vikings member of you know the the top brass kevin o'connell quasi every one of them was at pains to say we still believe in irv we still think he's a big part of this thing thing going forward now it's kind of what you would say, but I think it was brought up enough unprompted that it's probably true. Like Hawkinson and, and Irv Smith are not necessarily mutually exclusive. They can and maybe will function in this offense going forward, which does just start loading up on the number of weapons that this offense has, which is probably pretty important. There's a question in the chat about um, PFF Plus and if there are Edge and Elite subscriptions. There are no longer Edge and Elite subscriptions. We are one just one beautiful subscription, PFF+. Mm-hmm. Plus. We've consolidated everything into one. So Now it gets you everything we offer. So go check that out. Download the app as well if you can. And uh, go get PFF+. Plus. Just the one subscription model has all the betting, fantasy, grades, the whole deal all rolled into one. Um, commanders, are they, are they becoming the feisty team now? Playing a little bit better, coming off of a comeback win against the Colts, coming off a win against the Packers. 
you know, kind of this Taylor Heineke, you know it's not going to be clean all the time, but he's going to he's going to underthrow a deep ball that Terry McLaurin can go up and moss yeah. and, and create a big play. <laughs> so some of that aggressiveness is coming through in these uh, late-game attempts here. The Vikings have been Heineke. playing a lot more man coverage recently, so I'm, I'm actually intrigued to see either of their two starting corners, Patrick Peterson or Cameron Dantzler, going one-on-one with Terry McLaurin. Like, I think that's actually a pretty fun, feisty matchup. We, Peterson didn't look bad last week playing more aggressive man coverage. Um, and given he tends to go walkies at times in zone coverage, I think it I mean, is they said they were going to let him press more and everything, right? Like going yeah. into the week and they backed it up. They did. And yeah. I think like I think it is what he's best at. I mean, I'm not saying he's amazing and he's one of the top corners in the league still, but he's definitely better playing press man, especially on the outside against a certain type of receiver than he is playing zone where he has a tendency to just not maximize the range he should have in zone and it's why you hear a lot of Patrick Peterson on his own podcast or whatever complaining about plays where we've given him coverage because he hasn't hit the landmark that other corners do and he's like ah it's not really my you know it's not my coverage it's somebody else's thing that's the safety and like yeah okay but if you look at the other side which is the same coverage the other corner is three yards further deep than you are which is taking away that window so, you know, technically it might not be your coverage, but the other guy stops that throw happening, and you're not, and you're not most of the time, or at least more frequently than some of these other guys. So the bottom line being, I think the Vikings are right to pivot to a more man-heavy uh, arrangement for Patrick Peterson. I think that makes him play at his best, and I'm actually fascinated to see how it holds up against a guy as good as Terry McLaurin, who has been the reason that Washington has been able to come out on the good side of a couple of games recently. Man, the the value of wide receiver one. I mean, that's McLaurin, right? We've seen that the last couple of weeks with uh, a couple of those big plays in crunch time. We've talked about the Vikings offensive line quite a bit. They're up to 18th in overall pass blocking grade as a team. Is that enough? Creeping back toward average in Minnesota. Going up against a pretty good Washington defensive front. Now, Chase Young has been declared back to uh, practice. They've got, what, three weeks to activate him. It takes some time here, but... The remaining defensive line, Montez Sweat, Jonathan Allen, Deron Payne, have all rushed the passer pretty well. I think that could be the key for Washington here if those guys are getting pressure and um, at least at least creating a more volatile Kirk Cousins performance here. Because Cousins, when he's unpressured, the way that you know this offense has done a nice job creating open throws, Cousins hits open throws, he's played pretty well this year overall, but pressure could change this game for Washington. Yeah, I mean, that's their big hope. Um, Minnesota's offensive line... Crept into the top 10. They are now 10th in PFF's offensive line rankings this week, um, which has to be the first time in a long time that the Vikings have had a quote top 10 offensive yeah, line. Yeah, that's on the back of really good run blocking, right? And, and you know, solid, guys like, and, but like solid pass blocking. And right? Christian Darasaw, I think, yeah. is up to the third ranked uh, offensive tackle in the NFL this season. It's Andrew it's Thomas, fantastic. number one. It's Trent Williams, number two. Christian Darasaw is up to number three. He just leapfrogged Laramie Tunsil this week. He's legitimately looking like one of the top tackles in the league all of a sudden. Um, this so is you, why the, um, uh, let me go back to the Vikings Jets trade. Mm-hmm. The Jets didn't win the trade to go get Elijah Vera Tucker because the guy. Christian Darasaw, the guy that they that the Vikings traded down and still got, is at least as good as Elijah Vera Tucker, if not better. Right now, we're seeing. Yep. 
Um, and yes, the Vikings' other two draft picks have both been released so far. <laughs> but that's the point, right? Like you just those are just extra lottery tickets that they got. So I'm just saying the Vikings trade. Uh, thanks to Rick Spielman trading down get, and still getting Christian Darasaw, who's looking really good right now at left tackle. I mean, that always looked like a fantastic deal for Minnesota. The only question was um, if you were willing to trade down and not draft the guy where you were sitting, does that speak to your lack of confidence in what he would become going forward? It's like, does it say something in itself that you were willing to risk not getting that guy and then wound up getting him anyway? It's like it's not exactly a ringing endorsement of how good you thought he was, but if he ends up being that guy, then who the hell cares? It's a, it's obviously a better move because you picked up additional picks for a guy you could have taken a few spots later. It's like it's literally free money, you know. It's for a guy that for getting yeah. the same thing. That's all I'm saying. You so, see, yeah, Minnesota's played much better on the line. You've got uh, Darisaw's playing at a great at, at a high level. Good play from Ezra Cleveland. Always get really good, solid play from Brian O'Neill at right tackle. Garrett Bradbury's having his best season at center. And to your point, Ed Ingram at guard, he's been the weak link as a third-round rookie, right? Who, you know, it's tough to step in as a third-round rookie. But they, I think they have absolutely successfully crept back toward average. All that said, like other teams, they're a little bit weaker from a pass-blocking standpoint, and that's where Washington's strength is from a pass-rushing standpoint. So three-and-a-half. Minnesota on the road here in Washington. Where are you going with this one? Uh, I'm buying into the Vikings covering on this particular occasion. I think they can cover. This never happens. No, I mean, it's more. I, You're still, a Vikings believer now. Only against Washington this week. Oh, man. I, I'll buy into Minnesota as well. I'll sell the, I think they'll cover the three and a half. Vikings going to move to seven and one here. They're rolling, man. They're yeah. rolling. Carolina Panthers coming to town to face the hometown Cincinnati Bengals. Bengals favored by seven and a half. Yeah. Um, we did not. We, we had a lot going on yesterday. We did not review Monday Night Football. No. Bengals-Browns. The Bengals got absolutely smoked. Yes. From uh, It was a slow start to the game for both teams, but Cincinnati's offense had no answers outside of like a late jump ball to T. Higgins. That was it. Um, the Bengals... I mentioned this a few times last year. As soon as they felt like they were a good team, they laid an egg against the Browns and they laid an egg against uh, Mike White's Jets. The inconsistency in Cincinnati, I, I look at it two ways. Yeah, Zach Taylor and that coaching staff have had a lot of letdown games, right? As soon as they started to look like last year's Bengals, they have a letdown game. They're bad. At the same time, Zach Taylor and his staff have done a good job coming out of letdown games and bouncing back and getting the Bengals back on track. The inconsistency, though, is tough to figure out other than the fact that, yes, they were down Jamar Chase, and was that the biggest factor? Because they've had points in this year with Jamar Chase where the offense looked as bad as it did the other night. But was this one in particular Jamar Chase led, and the, you know the, the Bengals just did not have any answers without their wide receiver one? Yeah, I mean, the, uh, the late Dr. Eric Eager... Um, Rest in peace. Tweeted, <laughs> tweeted out that... Uh, Full disclosure, Eric Eager is still alive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just not working at PFF anymore. Correct. Um, he tweeted out that it's an unpopular take, but the 2022 Bengals are basically the same as the 2021 Bengals. Like, we're just seeing a different end of... A different result, but from the same process and the same kind of idea. Like, this is who they were last year. This is why they didn't look like 
the AFC Super Bowl team for the majority of the season. And then they caught a, a wave of really good returns from the kind of play that they'd had, and they ended up going all the way. Um, or all the way, but the final hurdle. This is just the back end of that. And you add the loss of Jamar Chase, and all of a sudden, now you're not rewinding to last year. You're rewinding to the year before that, where the offense wasn't as good because they didn't have that one superstar alpha. Now you've lost Chidabe Awuzie as well. So you've lost your number one corner. They're really banged up in the secondary. Yeah, Daxton Hill is about to go from being a backup free safety that couldn't get on the field for more than three snaps a game to the starting corner opposite uh, Eli Apple, who himself is getting wrecked this year, by the way. So all of a sudden you've gone from like, oh, this is Awuzie is playing at a, at a high level. Again, he's doing a really good job to... You've got one liability at corner and one massive question mark because he's your free safety. That's a concern. The lack of Jamar Chase 100% transforms this offense from, you know, terrifying big play threat in any given moment to, all right, all we got to do is be able to go one-on-one with T. Higgins and we can dedicate extra help there. I I think quietly this, this sort of Bengals team is, they're not in trouble, but... I, they're not as good as, as I think people expect them to be or maybe that their high end can be. And then on the other side of this, right, if this PJ thing is legit or at least not, it doesn't collapse, it doesn't turn back into a pumpkin, he has been able to get results out of this offense that did not look possible with Baker Mayfield at the helm, yeah. right? He is making big-time throws against zone coverage. He's attacking deep downfield. He's obviously able to escape the pocket make things happen on the move. He's only put the ball in harm's way once, really. Okay, it was bad, but the one time. Um, rookie Ikiakuanu was given up three pressures in five games. He had his ass kicked for like the first three games of the year, and since that point has been basically locked down. So I this is a ton of points, and I actually like the Panthers to cover this a lot. Really? Yeah. You just added that all up. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm going to probably go the other way and say I still need to see more from the Panthers. I mean, the last two weeks, beat the Bucks handily, mm-hmm. lose to the Falcons in a crazy game, should have should have won. Mm-hmm. I mean, depending on how you look at it. Should have beaten the Falcons in a, in a close game. Um, since the first half of that Bucks game, the offense has been outstanding, right? They started a little bit slow against the Bucs, but like right around the second quarter, that's when P.J. really turned it on. Great touchdown late there. And then outside of the bad pick six last week, yeah, he's played – extremely well um and i think the that's the one that's most impressive about walker because as you mentioned the panthers offense was unwatchable Mm -hmm. the first half of the season whether it was baker mayfield under center or the first game with pj walker where they where he didn't complete a pass beyond the line of scrimmage and barely attempted a pass beyond the line barely even attempted it i don't know so that's but since that point he's been good i don't know what changed there whether it's ben mcadoo finally going what the hell like let's just let's play offense or whether pj just went screw this i'm not yeah. i'm not doing this anymore i'm not spending an entire game never even attempting a pass beyond the line of scrimmage if i'm going to go out i'm going to go out and swing it you know so i have no idea what the dynamic was there but this is a different offense and if it's a different offense their offensive line is all of a sudden not bad pj looks good and even if he like he's got room to regress and still be able to put up some points, DJ Moore is able to make plays now that he's got a guy finally able to push the ball downfield a bit. Like this team and Dante uh, Foreman right in the backfield. Like this is a team actually able to do some damage. Yeah, I know Panthers and 
you know, defensively, they've been a, a little hit or miss in Carolina, but they've uh, they, they keep Brian Burns. You know, he doesn't get traded at the deadline and all that stuff. So, yeah, man, it's uh, it should be a pretty good game. Seven and a half, I think, is might might be tough for the Bengals to cover, but mm-hmm. it is amazing, man. It is just amazing how quickly things happen here in the NFL. We're two weeks removed from Burrow play look having your college stat line he was like 34 for 42 for 400 plus and three touchdowns and there was times there were times last year where he did that right where it was like this this looks unstoppable yeah and then this past week jamar chase is hurt and the offense looks horrible until a couple of garbage time touchdowns i also um, think by the way the kind of one of the learnings from Cincinnati's point of view is they're coming out of that game going man we need to get Joe Mixon going like our run game hasn't been good enough we need to establish the run we need to you need to run the ball at the NFL level if you're going to be good right I think they're going to come into this game and be like we're going to try and run Joe Mixon against what was the number one rush defense in the NFL until last week when Atlanta had some success against them like if they come in and try like the fix from last week is to try and run the ball heavier again I think that plays into Carolina's hands yeah, I think so. I, I love they're this game close. for Carolina covering, which means they're going to get blown out by 50. But Yeah, like, I mean, I, I like the so – I'm buying into the fact that every time – I'm going to the emotional aspect of it here. Every time we doubt the Bengals and they start to disappoint, they have shown the resiliency, right? You could argue they shouldn't have been in that point. Like they should not have fallen the way they have a couple times the last couple of years. Um, but I think they bounce back. Do they bounce back at seven and a half? Mm. Is a tough one. Don't like it. I'll take them. I'll take them to do it. Wow. I'm not. Give me another week to buy into PJ. Cincinnati's at home. Last time we saw him at home, practicing in the dome. They do have a nice new bubble, right off 71, 75. Nice new bubble to practice indoors. Mm -hmm. Not sure why you need to. It's not like the weather's been bad. I'm just saying it's nice having that option. I mean, they're sitting there getting ready for the AFC Championship last year. Yeah, you'll need it later in the year. 20-degree weather or whatever. Right now, right now, it's it's fine outside. It's nice to have those options. Pure. It's nice to have the options. Mm -hmm. Indianapolis Colts at the New England Patriots. Patriots favored by five and a half here. At home against the Colts. Old school rivalry here. Manning versus Brady. This is what it is. Manning-Brady, 22 or whatever it would be. (laughs) Like 17. Instead, it's Mac Jones and Sam Ellinger. Uh, Mac Jones and the Patriots did lose to Carson Wentz's Indianapolis Colts last year. I believe it was a Saturday night football game. Mm. And uh, that was when Mac, that was, you know, Mac Jones hasn't played football well in a while. Quite a while. And I think that's the story in and, this game. Yeah. And if, kinda... if a lot of what ifs, it's what we do here at PFF. What ifs? You just do what ifs. You grade what ifs. Mm. What if there's uh, John Franklin Myers does not rough mac jones in the 84 yard pick six stands yes. last week yes um, so this is the thing like lost in last week because zach wilson was so horrendous it kind of everyone was focusing on that losing track of the idea that mac jones played like garbage again yeah like and and as you say was bailed out by that roughing the passer thing which would have put one of the worst plays in the in the season like back on his scoreboard um he looked really bad and I think because Zach Wilson just somehow managed to look even worse, it sort of hid that a little bit. But given the Mac Jones, Bailey Zappi dynamic, he can't have that much real estate at this point to play like that again 
and not get pulled from the game, right? I don't know, man. I think it's close, right? I think it's close. I mean, what I was saying, you know, remember he had two games with Bailey Zappi. He looked pretty good. The offense was better. And it became a sort of, is this actually a quarterback controversy? And then Mac Jones gets healthy. They put him back out there with this supposed plan to always rotate the quarterbacks. You get an immediate spark from Bailey Zappi, and then he goes back to playing not particularly well. Last week, Mac Jones played badly. So, again, they are not tied to Mac Jones the way these other teams are tied to their starting quarterback. And if Mac Jones doesn't pull his head out of his ass and start playing like he did the start of his rookie season, they kind of don't have an option after a while, right? (sighs) Yeah, I don't know, man. I I think they still want... They, I, they obviously still want to believe in Mac Jones because somebody as was their making first yeah somebody was making the point that like the thing that Bill Belichick covets values more than anything else as a quarterback is don't turn it over decision making overall just don't yeah. screw it up right do not put the ball in harm's way and then I don't care whatever else happens like there's obviously a sliding scale then between you know hyper conservative game manager where we just inch our way down the field and a guy that can be Tom Brady and create an amazing offense in addition to not screwing it up. But number one, do not turn the ball over. Right now, that's Mac Jones's biggest problem. He's gone from being a quarterback that was very good at not screwing up and you know was very accurate, didn't make bad decisions, to this season, he's been atrocious. His turnover-worthy play rate is over 5%, which is double what it was last year. Like he's gone from being on the better end of the spectrum for turnover-worthy plays, which for a rookie is impressive, Yes, to doubling that number and now being amongst the worst quarterbacks in the NFL at turning it over. That, those are the things that uh, those are the things that are concerning, but those are the things that were good about Mac Jones right off the bat, like you're saying. Like he, this, this, he was a quick decision-maker. Um, Accuracy-wise, the first half of last year, absolutely outstanding. Like he just wasn't missing a ton of throws. We're seeing a, you know, a couple airmailed throws per per game here for Mac Jones and the turnover-worthy plays. So I don't know if there's a short leash because I just like honestly I don't know if Bill Belichick pulled him because he legitimately wanted to bench him on Monday Night Football or if because he was coming off the injury and there wasn't as much practice time he just felt like he wasn't. He just wasn't there. Like, hey, we rushed him back or whatever it might be. I, I could see that being Belichick's mentality on the Monday Night Football benching. I don't think that there's that short that short of a leash every single week for Mac Jones. But if he has another week like that, man, I, yeah, I, that's I don't when know. you got to start thinking about it, right? I don't know how much longer he can play the way he's been playing before he takes the decision out of Belichick's hands and essentially makes them make a change. Yeah. It's like, remember when Marcus Mariota for the Titans just played so bad for a period of time that it was like, all right, sure, Ryan Tannehill, this guy that looked horrendous in Miami is the backup, but what the hell? It can't be any worse than this. And then they put in Tannehill. What do you mean, Ryan Hill? Tannehill had a bad, one bad season. Yeah, but it, like he looked like the worst quarterback in the NFL. For just one season. He was really yeah. good for the most. I mean, he was a good quarterback nobody, for the majority of his career. Nobody was expecting Ryan Tannehill to even be an upgrade necessarily when they put him in for... Uh, for Marcus Mariota it was just that at this point we don't have an option like you have played your way to the bench we you can't keep playing like this like we have to make a change that's what Mac Jones is heading towards right now he's playing so badly that he's going to make the decision not Belichick yeah so that's where we are man I think so all that said do you think Mac Jones bounces back here I mean to, to me there is enough of a body of work 
the first half of last year and into games in the second half of last year where I think he's he's better than what he's showing. But I think it's a pivotal point here for Jones and the Patriots. He's better than what he's showing, but I don't necessarily see him pulling it pulling out of his tailspin anytime soon. I think this is going to be another rough game. No, I think I think Jones bounces back here. It's a simpler defense against Indianapolis. You get the Gus Bradley cover three, simple scheme, Stephon Gilmore revenge game here against the Patriots. Mm. Um, five and a half though against the Colts. Just fired their offensive coordinator who doesn't even call the plays. It just feels like they're uh, it's a good scapegoat. Yeah. There uh, might be some potential changes I'm always here torn on that. It's like, on the one hand, you're clearly a scapegoat for something that wasn't your fault. On the other hand, you just got a free payoff to, to not work anymore. Yeah. Congratulations. I mean, I don't want to put that on air, that, like, that's that's a thing we talk about sometimes. Like, how that'd be fun. Fired Getting coach. a three-, four-year contract and getting fired. Fired. But I would like a real NFL. I mean, I, you know, if, I get, if you hire me, this real NFL, yeah. I, I'm not looking to get fired, right? Okay? Because I know, I know there's executives listening, and I'm, I'm, I'm willing to, to work at the right price this isn't in the NFL. NFL. I'm just, I have to put this out there quick, Sam. I will not try, try to get, get fired, fired and sit home and collect. Okay. This okay, is I'm not saying that. an NFL-specific thing, but when you reach the very pinnacle of these things— fired coach fired head coach fired position coach even uh fired general manager fired uh manager of a soccer team like when you reach the pinnacle that is like a jackpot of existence the like auburn or something is paying some ungodly sum of money to multiple fired head coaches at this point all of whom seem to get the same contract it's like nah take 15 million a year with no caveats whatsoever and if you get canned you get all of it like what are we what is There's happening a- Oh, man, there's a weird dynamic in college football right now where if a guy has like a good half season, it's like quit 10 year contract, right. lock him up when there's like no history of why that should happen. And no, like, outs. and then the next year, Michigan State, it's like, yeah, oh, no, like get outs where if it all goes to hell, you know, you don't get all the money or whatever. Like it's not fully guaranteed. Lock it up. He gets the payoff if we get rid of him. Like what? Somebody taught it up at one point, like the amount of money jose Mourinho had made out of the multiple clubs that fired him over a period of a decade you know it's an ungodly sum of money so i'm like on the one hand yeah it sucks you got to move your family again and on the other hand you just got a ton of money for getting you know for for working not even working from home from just chilling gardening leave you and i get to sit at home get up when you like do whatever you like and you got you're still getting paid what are you looking for in this game? What are you, where are you leaning here? I know we haven't talked much about the Colts. We got Sam Allinger making his second start here. Colts have the number 11 ranked overall defense, solid across the board. Haven't rushed the passer as effectively as they would hope with all the investment that they've made on the defensive line between draft capital and DeForest Buckner. But um, the defensive interior has been solid. Edge rusher, not as much, not so much for the Colts. And then the offense, Ellinger, Matt Ryan, doesn't really matter. It's been very inconsistent this year. Yeah, their offensive line is a big problem um, and continued to be a big problem regardless of the quarterback that they put out there. Sure, Ellinger might have a better chance of getting out of trouble and making something happen, but it's it's a rough starting point. Like, there's a reason um, Jonathan Taylor can't really get anything going. The, the blocking is not where it should be. They Their offense is going to struggle again, and I think New England's might struggle again because Mac Jones, I, I don't think, is going to have a good game. So I think this is going to be an ugly, low-scoring affair which makes five and a half points a lot i know new england just got smoked at home by chicago but i think i don't know i feel like this is one of those games like last year where they have an advantage roster wise yeah i think they're a better team yeah but i also hate 
now putting any kind of uh, stock behind Mac Jones as the quarterback. Buffalo Bills at the New York Jets. Bills favored by 12 and a half on the road yeah. in New York against the 5-3 and three New York Jets. Mm-hmm. I'm curious where Jets fans, where, where their heads are at. Are they, are Jets, Jets fans, interact with me here. You know, get, go into the chat, let me know. Are you feeling good about the progress of the team? I would think so, right? Sure. But what do you feel about Zach Wilson? And have you, coming off a loss, have your feelings about Zach Wilson changed at all? Because did you feel like, hey, we're five and two, who cares how Zach Wilson's playing? Or were you at five and two thinking, oh boy, we're five and two, and Zach, like, quarterback play's got to be better, or this is going to fall apart? Last week, it was a struggle. This week, obviously, you have to pull a major upset here to beat the Bills. How concerned are Jets fans with Zach Wilson? But how are you feeling about the rest of the roster? Because I think that defense, man, love watching Sauce Gardner, DJ Reed, what they've done on the outside, what the pass rush has been able to do. Really fun watching this Jets defense, the way they've rebuilt that over the last couple of years. Yeah, there's so much to be excited about as a Jets fan. The defense, the additions they've made, um, the skill position players. Okay, Brees Hall unfortunately got injured, and we're, we're not going to see him for the rest of the year, but he looks fantastic. The receivers are good. Like, this is so much is exciting. I think Robert Sala showed that he still knows how to coach, even if his defense was garbage with no talent there. Um, so there's so much positive. The problem is the one negative is the most important thing in the entire team. Is your quarterback capable of playing at this level? And if he isn't, none of the rest of it matters. Um, and they've come out and they've been like, Zach, well, he's not, like, he's going to be the quarterback for the rest of the year. There's no, we're not thinking about making a change. He's not going to get benched. He's going to be playing come what may. I am going to go out on a limb and say Zach Wilson gets pulled from this game. Wow. He, I, you're going up against the best pass rush in the NFL. The Green Bay Packers and Aaron Rodgers effectively abandoned the pass game because they couldn't hold up against Buffalo's pass rush. They went, this is, we're going to get annihilated if we keep trying to play an honest game. Let's just run the ball. Run the ball the whole way and figure it out later. That's what the Packers just did. Green, uh, the Jets have a worse offensive line and by far a worse quarterback. Zach Wilson is still playing worse under pressure than any quarterback I've ever seen over a period of time. Like I've made, I sort of made that point before, and people are like, what about Nathan Peterman? Or what? Yeah, okay. He's not the worst quarterback I've ever seen under pressure, but he's the worst sort of quarterback. If you're going to say he's going to be a starter for five years, he would be the worst quarterback you've ever seen under pressure. The point being, the guys you're comparing him to are the Nathan Petermans of the world as opposed to any viable quarterback you can think of. So this has the recipe to be an absolute disaster for the Jets. Yeah, I'm, Zach Wilson is one of the guys I, I, I make it a point to watch. Not, I mean, I, we watch everything, but like I, Zach Wilson's development is just fascinating to me because he did, he did bloom a little bit later at BYU. I have an unproven theory that sometimes that happens to players at both levels, right? You're kind of a late bloomer in college and you could be a late bloomer in the NFL. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm not, it's not like a give up on him type of, type of thing or anything. I think he's extremely talented off-platform throws and the things he's capable of throwing the football and he comes in at a time when that's probably more coveted than ever because of what Mahomes and Allen and other guys have done but now but then he gets into the NFL and Zach Wilson is playing the game in a completely different fashion than every other quarterback in the NFL so that has to change right and I, I made the point I think on one of one of our shows here was one of the Hasselbacks breaking down Josh Allen doing the same thing 
but Josh Allen in year three turned it around. Like, does Zach Wilson have that same thing? I, I don't want to. I don't want to get into this point where every quarterback that struggles through two years, we're like, well, Josh Allen, you can just Josh Allen it. Which is what people are going to be doing. Everybody's going to do that. Everybody's going to do. Oh, Josh Allen. Just look at Josh Allen. Look at his his improvement. But Zach Wilson has to like has to do that. Where yeah. Josh Allen started playing differently, his weaknesses improved. He started throwing on time and in rhythm and accurately. Yeah. Which which that's the biggest thing for Wilson on time, and in rhythm and accurately, and then the other stuff shows up right maybe one of the worst things for zach wilson on sunday was the off platform off script stuff worked early on against the patriots and then he tried to do it a little bit too much he's not under pressure as much as it seems the offensive line's banged up and it's not great but he's not under forced pressure by the offensive line as much as it seems yeah he's rolling into it and scrambling into it and the whole thing so it's it's also as bad as josh allen was under pressure it wasn't as bad as Zach Wilson, like early in his career, you know? Um, This is the scary thing. It's like there's genuinely never been a quarterback to play for any period of time that has numbers or grade as bad under pressure as Zach Wilson has right now for his career. Josh Allen's worst year under pressure, he had a passing grade of 37. Zach Wilson right now is a 21, I think. It's completely unprecedented. Like... The Mark Sanchez's, Blaine Gabbert, those guys, it's 30s. You know, it's, it's a 10-point grade off the bottom of the worst quarterbacks we've ever seen under pressure, about to face the best pass rush in the NFL with a bottom five offensive line. I, I don't see any way that ends other than disaster. So Jets offensively, I think it's going to take a superhuman effort from a play-calling standpoint, and less about Zach Wilson. Um, they, they beat the Packers a couple weeks ago by – not even run, uh, throwing the ball in the second half because the run game was so effective. They had Brees Hall at that time, and they were doing a great job using Brees Hall as a wing and end around. I mean, they were using Brees Hall in unique ways to get him the ball in space. He's hurt, so you still have to you know, maybe get James Robinson involved. I think the Jets have to run the ball and you know keep the ball away from the Bills, but there was a reason why the Packers ran the ball so much in a comeback attempt against the Bills. It was their best bet. It was most effective for them. The Bills have the number two pass rush grade, and they don't blitz. I mean, that that number mm-hmm. continues to just stand out for their ability to, to get home with four. Yeah. Um, and then on the other side, Jets defense, man. This is the first big test. Not the first, but there's it's a big test for Sauce and for DJ Reed with the receivers. Yep. The, but Josh Allen in that second half. Yeah. The two turnover-worthy plays and stuff. He He's a, been a superhuman robo-quarterback this year. <laughs> But there have been lulls like that, just like Mahomes has lulls, right? None of these guys are perfect. I mean, and if the Bills, if that happens again, though, that's how the Jets keep this thing close. That's the only way the Jets cover this is if so. Allen has two games this year where he's had three or more turnover-worthy plays: the second half against the Packers, effectively, and then that game against Miami where he had six. If he any if he has one of the other games, the Jets are getting annihilated in this. I, I mean, even though their defense is good. They're just getting blown out of the park. They can't hang. If Allen has one of those games where he pitches the ball to the defense a few times, you they're, they're catch still him. not going to win. Defense has to catch him yeah, first. They're still not going to win, but they can keep it within two scores, which is what we're talking about here. Yeah, I'll take Buffalo to Same. cover. They're, they're just too good. 12 and a half on the road against the Jets. I think they still cover it. Yep. Green Bay Packers at the Detroit Lions. Packers favored by three and a half at Detroit. Uh, we had a little PFF NFL Daily today talking about the Packers and um, Packers media posting the question, posing the question. 
you know, are they, you know, are they blowing it? As the Super Bowl window closed for Aaron Rodgers, we discussed that a little bit. There was no trade deadline move for the Packers. Nope. Um, but going to Detroit, as we mentioned, historically bad defense here. Is this the game where uh, all the feels come back for the Packers and their offense in the Dome against Detroit's defense? Uh, this features one of the most fun one-on-one matchups of the week. Uh, Rashawn Gary versus Panay Sewell. That, I mean, frankly, to hell with the rest of the game. I'm just fascinated to watch that all the way through. Rashawn Gary, I think, has picked up where he left off last season. He's one of the best edge rushers in the league. He's extremely imposing, dominant, consistent, all the things that he wasn't at the start of his career. And Panay Sewell looks like one of the best right tackles uh, in the league. He's got, I think, the second best right tackle grade, maybe third. Um, He looks really good, hasn't been given up much pressure at all. So... Those guys, I think, are going to have a fan, a great one-on-one uh, back and forth. Uh, the the Lions' offense, too, as a whole, we've talked about quite a bit. They, you you like to say that they didn't make sense early on, um, but they were they were creating explosive plays in the run game and in the pass game. Off of that, it's been a little bit less consistent over these last couple weeks. But Goff's coming off his best game, but this Lions' rushing attack against uh packers run defense we highlighted this last week too they've been they've been hit or miss bottom 10 as far as run defense uh goes is this a game where the lions running attack they can't create those explosive plays against the packers team where are their linebackers now i mean quay walker will be back but they were banged up last week they've given up some explosive runs this year this could be you know the lions at least keeping it close i I think this is a packers get right spot though overall but can the Lions pull the upset? I think the run game would be a big part of it. Yeah, Andre Campbell's knee uh, questionable with a knee. Another offensive line that is very tilted towards being a run-blocking unit versus a pass-blocking unit. They're much better run-blocking than, than they are pass-protecting, even with Panay Sewell you know, playing really well as a, as a pass-blocker. So if they're going to win, I think the run game is a big part of it, um, or even if they're going to cover it, it, it's what they should be leaning on. It is still a very confusing offense. Like, they don't have a bunch of guys that are just sort of better than you. You know, even like Amonris and Brown is their best receiver. And even Amonris and Brown, there's nothing that he does that sort of terrifies you from a, wow, this is just unstoppable. His route running, his, like, none of this is amazing. It's just that he's good and they scheme him up well over the middle and from the slot and all those kinds of things. Um, And I think that's why they go through these phases where it just doesn't function necessarily because there's nothing there that is imposing or tremendously difficult to stop they're just kind of picking up all the low-hanging fruit and keep coming back for more and more and jared goff like all right i might not be amazing i'm jared goff but i'm gonna keep swinging and (laughs) there's something to that in the nfl uh, the, the Lions won the game week 18 last year when Aaron Rodgers, I think they played either half or just a couple drives. But the Lions, you know, they got back on track late late season with the win. But they've only got the one win this year. We thought that the Lions, how do you, how do you look at the Lions, right? Because the preseason narrative, um, the late Dr. Eager, was telling everybody, you know, get on the Lions. Get on the Lions. Restore the roar. Win total. Restore the roar. Um, has not been restored. Has not been restored so far. But... Just like, was it Washington a couple years ago where they were 1-6 or whatever and turned it around? I mean, you do see those turnarounds sometimes. And oftentimes it is, Dolphins did it last year as well, right? Where like a team where the preseason expectations finally, finally matched, but like, you know, halfway through the year. Can the Lions be that team 
where they should be better, right? Like the defense shouldn't be this bad. So the problem they have is that it's the concern we flagged heading into the year. Like we love the process of what they did with this rebuild, the multi-year rebuild project, the idea of it all starting to coalesce together as one glorious whole heading forward after a few years. It only works if you pick the right players, you know? And those guys, so the, the idea that they take a year or two to develop at certain positions, fine, but you need to see that development. And right now, the problem that the Lions have is that they haven't. So all the players that are supposed to have taken a step this year and move this team forward in a meaningful direction, they haven't. Yeah. So, you know, guys like the, any of the defensive linemen, like where is their defensive line? Where is the pressure? Aiden Hutchinson leads the team in pressures with 22 and he's been okay you know he's got some flashes there's some elite plays in there but it's 227 pass rushes to get 22 pressures which is kind of average nobody else has more than 10 pressures on the defense nobody so the charles harris the aquaras they, they had a, this whole group of guys that were supposed to platoon and become a really good pass rushing unit they haven't um the defensive interior guys alim mcneil um those guys Again, it, it, it hasn't shown up. So the team just isn't better than it was supposed to be. Injuries, it, too, with some of those guys. Harris is coming back this week, right. I, th- I believe, uh, where he's at least potentially coming back. A Weezer, uh, a Weezer, week, Weezer. Problem, right? It's a Weezer difficult Rike. one. Yeah. Rike. He's been injured. But you're right, like the Olympic Neals of the world. Right. So you're hoping for year Whether injury or simply not developing, the group that they would have expected to take a step this year, none of them have. Right. Which means you're no better than you were a year ago. Like it, the plan was for natural development and evolution to take this team forward. But if those guys don't do that, it, you, you didn't. So, you know, uh, Doug Kide, cousin Doug, yeah. had a thing in his uh, sort of reaction to the Hawkinson trade about how trading away a 25-year-old tight end who was a former what a number eight overall pick whatever if he's not in your long-term plan it suggests that the plan has been pushed back i don't quite agree with his logic and that i think they might just not think hawkinson is that good um and they don't want to pay him but i think the point is actually correct which is like you have to push the plan back at this point because you're not where you thought you would be the, the, the plan hasn't you're not where you were expected to be you're no longer at this train station all along the journey you're five stations back because these guys haven't developed mm, maybe i don't know i think the turnaround can happen quicker than you think in the nfl it just ha- hasn't happened for a while for the lions unfortunately um i think it's a packers bounce back game man i think rogers in that passing attack they uh romeo dobbs i'm still just a big believer in romeo dobbs we saw that really nice catch last week. I think the passing attack has a big game for Green Bay here. I'll take them to cover the three and a half. Las Vegas Raiders at the Jacksonville Jaguars. Jags favor, uh, sorry, Vegas favored by one and a half here at the Jaguars. Jaguars multiple, uh, what, four game losing streak now. And the Raiders coming on. As soon as I was buying into the Raiders and thought they, they, thought they bounced back, they ran into the uh, Dennis Allen revenge game <laughs> Saints who shut them down in one of the more dominant or bad, however you look at it, offensive performances for a team in a long time. Yeah, I'm taking Green Bay as well, by the way, if we didn't. Oh, I thought, that. Well, I, you know, there's one, I saw you type it in, yeah, just, but I didn't get your no. verbal confirmation here. Fine. And I apologize to our listeners. Not a problem. Uh, perfectly acceptable. Yeah, so 
the Jags are a little bit like the Lions to me and that the things that were supposed to work haven't. <laughs> and all of a sudden we're like, we're questioning when is time to panic about Trevor Lawrence. And we, I mean, the sort of the football zeitgeist is now asking those questions. Like when is time to worry in a major way about Trevor Lawrence? Uh, I think the time was probably a while ago and that's an issue. I, the, the Raiders... It was like, the Raiders fix themselves, and then they run into the Dennis Allen revenge game. They get annihilated. I don't think Jacksonville can really bring that to the table. So, therefore, I think you're going to see a Raiders team that looks more like the last few weeks than the one that looked like last week, where they yeah. got completely shut down. And then I, I, then it's like, can Trevor Lawrence keep pace? And there's nothing to say that he can. Some of the history of quarterback development, the, the guys that stand out to me that like really had rough rookie seasons, but by year two, they look good. Uh, Matthew Stafford. That's the was poster one. child. Like Matthew Stafford's rookie year was garbage. Minus then, one, minus the separated shoulder game-winning touchdown against the Browns. Yeah, and then outside of that, it, it was immediately okay. They, maybe he was always slightly overrated throughout his career, but he went from like terrible year one to year two. He he was good. He was good year two, and then over five thousand passing yards year three, whatever it was. Right, Stafford, Derek Carr, who's in this game, was very very bad as a rookie. Very good by year two. Um, and Jared Goff was disastrous as a rookie and then good in year two. Good enough, right? Now, all of those uh, all of those guys at some point in their career also dealt with the question of, can we get better, right? Not so much Stafford, but like, you know, should we, should we move on? Do you, do you move on from Derek Carr or do you believe in him? Do you move on from Jared Goff or believe in him? So, but they've all at least got better. And then we talked about the Josh Allen example, two years of poor, but he did get better in year two and then took a massive leap in year three. I mean, those are just some of the examples that we're up against here with Lawrence. So he's behind the pace for, say, a Carr, a Stafford, or even a Goff. And he's you know, then you have to go to like, well, I hope he makes the Josh Allen leap in year three. Yeah. Um, so Lawrence's development, much like Zach Wilson's and Mac Jones and Justin Fields, these are like week-to-week fascinating storylines around the NFL. Um, my big thing with Lawrence is... I want to see him take over games because he's capable. Like, just be better. He can be better. Just be better. Yeah. Be yeah. better. I mean, it would be nice if he was better. Yeah. For everybody involved. I'm with you, man. I think the Raiders get back on track a little bit you know, on the road, going cross country and the whole thing. But Josh Jacobs in that run game had been really effective for a few weeks. I, I think at some point the Devontae Adams, the Devontae Adams experience has to work. I made the point on the podcast on Monday, maybe because he's not as big of a physical freak as A.J. Brown and Tyreek Hill and more of a technician. Maybe that's part of the slower start between him and Carr versus A.J. Brown and Tyreek Hill just just being physical freaks on the field. And maybe we see the second half be a, a much cleaner connection between Carr and Devontae. Geno Smith has four single games this season that are higher than the best single game grade we've ever given to Trevor Lawrence. Yeah. Quarterback quarterback evaluation and development is uh, fascinating, man. It's tough. That's my biggest concern with Lawrence. It's not that we're yeah. dealing with inconsistency. It's not that he's not doing it every week. It's that the highest high point we've ever seen from him still isn't good. Isn't even that good. Isn't even that we've good. We've seen a couple of games pop above 80 for a single game grade. P.J. Walker had a 90 grade uh, last week, the week before. Geno Smith has three 90-plus grades and another at 84. Like, we just, for a guy that was billed as the next 
great quarterback. It's not there. It isn't. It just isn't. Yeah. Well, there you go. You Therefore, just... he loses to Derek Carr. Yeah, I'm with you. Carr and the Raiders. I think they bounce back this week. Cover the one and a half. Um, always love watching the Jags defense. Watching the Trayvon Walker experience and Josh Allen. Uh, Josh Allen's still having a very good year. They mm-hmm. can get some pressure in this game. Um, anything else on this one? No. Just wrap it up, man. I believe the Raiders win in cover. Do you have all the games in there? Have we Hopefully. done all of the games? There's 15 games there, right? Or 13, or however many there were. Uh, let's give it a quick look here on Green Line. I think that's all of them. I believe so. I don't who's know. on by? Any any schedule should it's have a lot a of list teams of who's on, on by. by. The the Jesus, NFL Jesus. Jesus does it. Yeah. They have all the by teams, which is very helpful. I wonder how many people know about NFLJesus.com. <laughs> I don't know. Six teams run a bye this week. That's a lot. They do have the lots of beautiful. It's like its own game. Right? Browns, Broncos, Steelers, Cowboys, Giants, and 49ers. That's what I'm saying. That's why we're out 15 minutes early here. <laughs> I get a 215 meeting. It's perfect. Perfect. Done. Yeah. Enjoy Eagles Texans tonight. Go check out the baseball. And go check out um I wait, mean, is the World Series tonight too? I don't mean that. What I mean do our you baseball. think? What do you think about last night's game? Phenomenal. The, is the fir- the first time ever a collective no hitter was pitched in the the postseason? Yeah. yeah, isn't that crazy? Amazing. Because of the rain out the other night, they play tonight. Astros Phillies have to play tonight head to head with Texans. I mean, it just shows how quickly it can all all turn around. You know? Yeah. Twenty four hours ago, it was doom and gloom for the Astros. The Phillies were in the ascendancy. All of a sudden, combined no hitter. Combined no hitter, and it's it's flipped. 180 degrees. One of my big regrets in life was never throwing a no-hitter at any level. (laughs) I lost multiple no-hitters in the last inning throughout my life. So you were a choker? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. I mean, that's probably quite a large part of it. Oh, yeah. I gave up the game-winning home run in the playoffs in my last ever professional game. (laughs) Yeah. Hanging slider. Boom. Gone. You just... I was talking to you before this show about the... The mentality, the deranged mentality of these elite sportsmen. You just don't have it. No. No, fully admit that. Yeah. As soon as I got close, as soon as I was having a lot of success, I just, whew, yeah. it was a mess. You need to don't be. Don't lose it. Oh, don't lose it. You, you get a great ERA. Don't screw it up. You need to be certifiably crazy to be an elite athlete. You absolutely Like, do. you have to be completely irrational. Don't go into the stories. I know where you want to go. You and have, like, an eight-minute story. Utterly unable to see reality. And you, you can you're too much of a realist. Y'all are way too realistic. <laughs> I mean, even when I was performing well, I was like, this isn't sustainable. I know the numbers. Yeah. You know? Uh-huh. I'm like really overachieving of, right of now. Of the two of us, I think I'm closer to that level of like lunacy. Yeah. Yeah. But, oh, I was a big time overthinker. Yeah. That's why my old teammate, Bum, Bum Garner, is just like, oh, I pitched yesterday? Oh, I don't care. My arm feels great. It's game seven of the World Series. Let's go. Mm-hmm. Crazy. Anyway. Let's do it. Hit that thumbs up button on your way out, please. Yes. We love you guys. Appreciate everybody for tuning in. And we'll be back here on Monday morning, breaking down all the week nine NFL action. Email us or leave in the comments. Charity suggestions, forfeit suggestions, whatever we can do next. We are here to serve you and the charity. Thanks, everybody. See you Monday.